There are two key themes in today's interview with Alex Glasner. The first is the impossibility of really knowing what the business you buy is like until you actually buy it. Here's my favorite line in the interview from Alex. Quote, the key issue is, as a searcher, you think, I've done my due diligence, I know everything there is to know, and these are the 30 changes I'm going to make. But you come to the business and you realize this business is not the business that you thought you bought. End quote. So a big challenge of this adventure of buying a business is your vision making contact with reality. You need to be prepared for a period of reconciliation between the two. The second theme from Alex, becoming a leader. Like Alex, many entrepreneurs buying a small business don't have much, maybe any, leadership experience. So you're going from being a searcher, working probably alone, negotiating a deal over Zoom, to head of an organization with 10, 40, or in Alex's case, 140 people. In a flash, all eyes are on you. This is not only intimidating, but it also requires a skill. And we spend time today talking about how Alex is learning that skill as he goes, including letting go of wanting to be liked. I can relate. It's always fun to catch up with the dynamic, fast-talking Alex Glasner, owner and co-managing director of WorkPays. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs, and on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. You already know that business owners are making amazing use of virtual assistants, often based in the Philippines. And while virtual assistants are helpful, virtual professionals are transformative. More Staffing is a boutique agency that hires A players in the Philippines, not for simple tasks, but for deep competency work. Think operators, supply chain managers, controllers. More Staffing de-risks your engagement with a 12-month guarantee to you, and they provide coaching for six months to their talent when an engagement begins. That means your hire is coached in the background, no additional cost to you, so that your working relationship flourishes and is as successful as it can be. Global staffing is increasingly the norm, and building the muscle within your business to take advantage of it will be crucial in the years ahead. Speak with more staffing about the pool of capable, affordable managers they can connect you with. Check out morenow.co. That's morenow.co. Alex Glasner, welcome back to Acquiring Minds. Hi, how's it going? Alex, I interviewed you originally back in January of 2022, so 16 months ago. You had acquired a business the previous September, so you were only about four months into your role as owner, new owner. Today, we're going to hear how things have gone. Let's start off with a refresher. Please give us a little background on you, Alex, and tell us briefly about your search and what you bought. 
Okay, so brief background to me. I'm Alex from London originally. Um, my career has been a bit everywhere. So I spent a few years working in politics. As I say, a speechwriter, more I was like a diary manager, Daniel Dogsbody, um, spent most of my career in finance, business strategy. I also spent five years in the US. I went to business school um, in Boston where I found out about uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, after business school, I went to go and work in investment banking, um, did that for about two years and then started my search in the middle of the pandemic in the end of 2020. Um, was doing a self-funded search. I um, found WorkPays um, in the beginning of 2021, so pretty soon, and then we completed in June. Um, WorkPays is a, um, and I'm going to say this very quickly because it doesn't mean very much, an employability and skills training provider. Essentially, we do three things. One, we help um, unemployed people get the skills that they need to, um, to enable them to get a job. Two, we help them find a job. And three, once they're in a job, we help them upskill so they can progress in their career. Beautiful. Okay. So, in, so you actually closed on the business in June of 2021? That, no, that's no. That's when we signed the LOI. No, September. Oh, it was September. Okay, You're right. Great. Yeah. Okay. You know better than I well, do. Well, I'm going to link, of course, to your previous interview in the show notes. It was a great interview. We get into your search. One of the things that was striking then, and you were one of my earlier interviews, but remains striking because I, I don't think I've heard anybody be as systematic um, about the prep for their search. So you talked to, you interviewed like 50 former searchers. Uh, you said something that was was really interesting, which is that you learned a lot, the most in those 50 interviews from those who had failed to acquire or acquired and it had gone badly than you did from those who had been successful, um, which is something that actually has later been validated because when I do interviews with folks whose searches went badly, I mean, people absolutely uh, love hearing those stories. So I, I guess you were right on there. Um, and then you, you had, you, you, set up the whole infrastructure for your search over the course of six weeks, and then you really hammered it. So a very organized search. Um, people could really take a lesson from that. So um, go back and listen to episode one with Alex, everyone. All right, sir. Let's just start with kind of an open-ended question. How is it going? I'm going to say a couple of things. So firstly, the reason I was smiling while you were just talking is because the number of people who've called me up subsequently to say, um, can you put me in touch with people who failed? <laughs> and really? People don't, people don't like to be known as someone who didn't fit, didn't pass, didn't, yeah. didn't do so well in their search funds. So I generally say, you know what, maybe you should search. I, I, I don't really want to say. That's the first thing. Secondly, how is it going? <laughs> so you talk about how systematic my search was. And I think I thought very early on that I need a really rigid infrastructure to enable me to do my work better. And I think that was really helpful for me. Um, how is it at WorkPays? I think that it is, when you have a company of 130 people, doing that is significantly more difficult. And one of the benefits that a searcher can bring is professionalizing in inverted commas an organization. I have been trying to do that. Um, a year and a half into buying, uh, having acquired WorkPays and still struggle with that absolutely every day. So trying to impose this sort of rigid structure that I had um, on, um, that I had at Constant Peak, my search fund, on 130 people. Um, and I think the fact that it's a year and a half later and I feel like we have made a lot of progress, but not, perhaps not as much as I would like, um, I think just goes to show the difference between searching and operating. Well, and the difference between creating your own little your own little universe yeah. where you're you're a lone actor, um, you can control everything, and, and and you're only limited by your own self discipline versus <laughs> having yeah. to impose that discipline on everyone else. Um, well, let, let's just let's just double click on this a little bit. What 
So, so and, and kind of another way of putting this, it sounds like, is you're learning to be a manager of a large organization or, you know, a large-ish organization, over 100 people. Um, so can, can you just expand on, what, expand on what you just said? Is it kind of hard to get everybody on the same page or is it that people resist, you know, your ideas or is it that um, communication is difficult when it's, you know, it's, it's more than just a, a small room of people? What, what, what is it specifically that's difficult? All of the above actually. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. one of the things that we've been trying to do is improve our HR um, system. So I have a chief of staff. She did this absolutely amazing project on um, HR and retention. And essentially her findings were that not only are we probably not hiring as well as we should be, our processes for hiring aren't so good. Our, our processes for um, managing people while they're here probably aren't as robust as they should be. Um, and so trying to bring in new processes it's actually significantly more difficult than than you would think, whether it be making sure that 130 people know what the new processes are when not everyone checks every single email they get, making sure that the processes actually are followed. Um, you know, what, when you bring in 50 new processes for different parts of the business, I'm only one person. I cannot manage 50 different processes on a, on a daily basis. And ensuring that those processes are policed properly is also equally as difficult. Mm -hmm. And so over time, you, you go back and you look and you think, oh, hold on. That's not that's not how it should be done, and that that is mm -hmm. a, a real challenge, but also quite exciting. Alex, I have to ask, um, as you as you reflect on on this this year and a half plus that you've been in the business and and implementing all these new processes, you know, one of the themes in this world is the extent to which you put you in, you you implement changes in the business that you acquired, how much, how soon, etc. Yeah. Um, is it? You know, do you think that you are, is it possible that it's been challenging because you want to, you're, you're so hungry to do so much? Um, is it too much too soon or is it not really that? This is just, you know, you, you're sitting in the sweet spot. It's just the nature of change is that it's really hard and slow moving. I think it is that one, as a search who comes into a company, you want to do, there's a huge amount that you want to achieve and you have this end goal and you want to achieve it. So I think there's that, and I'll come back to this in a second. Second, I think that companies are very slow moving. My third point is that actually changes um, that sometimes you don't even know what needs to be changed. And so this, I think this is actually really interesting. When I first came to the business, I decided I, you know, sorry, I decided I was going to save us lots of money, going to go through our costs and work out why our margin had been kind of coming down a bit uh, before the acquisition. And so I decided I was going to, um, renegotiate our telephone bill. And I spoke to Jim Sharp, who's um, one of my investors very early on. And I think I mentioned last time, he has an absolutely great website. And mm -hmm. he said um, to me, he's like, don't be the idiot that comes along and renegotiates the, the telephone bill and think you've, <laughs> think you've achieved a lot. And I thought, do I tell him? Do I not tell him I've done that? And I think that's a problem. I think you come to the business. I, I think the key issue is as a searcher, you come to the business and you think I've done my due diligence. I know everything there is to know. And these are the 30 changes I'm going to make. You come to the business and you realize this business is not the business that you thought you bought. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's still going to be really great. And it still is, you know, it's, it's, there's still a lot you can do with it. But the things I think you, you ultimately do are very different. However, that said, I think to your point, I think you, you make two really, really key points that one, I think as a searcher, you want to make lots and lots of changes. And so I know that my impulse, as you can probably t tell from how quickly I talk, is to try and do as many things as possible all at the same time. And so whether it be today writing a bid, whether it be today um, thinking about our green strategy, thinking about our online strategy, thinking about our end of month finances, there's so much that you just want, you want to do. And actually, not only am I just one person, but building that sort of momentum among uh, among staff who, who are just incredible 
think about work incredibly different to you is, is, is very, very difficult. Um, and then that leads to the second point, which is, you know, my desire for change is very different to probably a, a lot of people, you know, when you, when you, this, these companies that often, that you often buy can be, they're, they're like, in many ways, they can be lifestyle businesses. And I don't think Workpace has ever been a lifestyle business, but I think people treat you know, often these businesses can be slightly slower moving, as you said. And I think change mm -hmm. is very different in our industry to what it's like in banking, private equity, consulting, which is where most people come from. You came from a very kind of traditionally high caliber environment. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable or flatter you, but you mentioned it. You mentioned it on your previous episode, you know, Harvard Business School, um, great. You're fortunate enough to have a great education in the UK, um, investment banking at the highest, you know, so kind of really operating at the highest levels. And, and I think people who come from that environment are just used to be, being surrounded by people who are similarly motivated, similarly ambitious, similarly capable. Um, and then to, to maybe be in an environment where everybody isn't so type A um, results in a culture clash. Is, is there an element of that here? I've spoken to a lot of searchers who say something very similar. And, and I think that underestimates how amazing the staff are in every single company. And I, and mm -hmm. I think that, is, is there an underlying assumption there that staff are are unambitious, lazy, or don't really care. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but I mm. often, I, I, I think what the way I try to think about it is actually um, our roles, it's, that people have different incentives. And this is what someone said to me this last week is that people in investment banking are scared, always permanently scared they're gonna lose their job, are incredibly insecure and therefore are willing to work until midnight, four in the morning or whatever it is to try, you know, to, to, to succeed. And I think actually the people that in a lot of the companies that are acquired by search funds have very different impulses. I don't, I think they're probably equally as ambitious. Their mm -hmm. ambition might be about work. It might be about family, but in, in many ways, they're also not being, you know, they don't have that. They probably don't have that same financial incentive that a lot of us used to have pre doing a search fund to do really well. Um, and I think it's that actually understanding that I think is more important than thinking about this sort of culture clash. And one of the things I was actually thinking about before today was, have I been more changed by workplace or has workplace or have I changed workplace? And where is it? I think that is the whole point of a search fund is to bring those two cultures together. So I don't think it's more of a clash. I think it's more of like a, a meshing. Very interesting, Alex. And 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 as you ask yourself this question, uh, did you just answer it that that, that workplace has, in, has um, influenced you and vice versa, or has has one influenced the other more? Did you come to a conclusion? Well, on good days, I'd like to say that it's equal. <laughs> on, on bad days, I'd say that I've made no change whatsoever to workplace, and it's so it has it's barely moved since I got here. But no, I'd I'd like to hope that we do have a very we, the, the culture is. I have tried to change our culture in some ways. So whether we think about, you know, making sure we have proper structures in place, as I, I mentioned, hiring, I mentioned um, any other process. I've been trying to put these in place so that rather, so from being, rather than being a acting like it's a company of 20 people, we act like the company of 130 people that we are. And we have those similar processes in place that I would have seen in, 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 any, of, in any other place I've worked. Alex, one of the things on this point of, of change and in, in searchers coming in and, and, and trying to, quote, um, improve processes is one of the reasons to, to kind of pump the brakes and do it slowly is because, you know, you'll come in, you'll think that, you know, process X is broken or inefficient, 
And then you'll learn six months later after you've really immersed yourself in the business for a lot longer. Oh, there, there is a method to the madness. It, this process yeah. looks this way for a, for a very good reason. And if I had changed that process, I would have broken X, Y, and Z. Um, is, how has that, has that played a role at all? Are some of the processes that you've wanted to change uh, actually already, you know, the way they should be? A hundred. No. No, no, a hundred percent. That's right. And actually, I think the reason why change has been slower um, than I expected is really because I've tried my best to dig deep down into what the issues are. So rather than making an issue and rather than saying, seeing on the surface, this might be an issue and trying to make a really rash decision. What I try to do is do a really deep dive. It's why we have, it's why I brought on a chief of staff and why she's, and she and I have been working together on our HR project. We did a, um, a curriculum review as well to think about how we place ourselves in the future. And I think actually, to, to your point, that many things are done really well at the moment, but what we're trying to understand is, you know, where aren't things done well? And I think you're totally right, is that I, I always come up with five hypotheses, but I'm never going to, and then five, and then 10 probably different ways to solve those issues that I found. But most of the time of those five hypotheses, you know, two or three might be correct and others might not. Don't quote me because I probably can't think of something, but uh, I think that's, that's what, that's our general starting point. So I try and be slightly more analytical about it. And I think mm -hmm. the way a search fund works, which is where your contracts are, sorry, where you have these very you know, state, very stable recurring revenue, I think enables you to be slightly slower as well, so you can be more methodical in your changes. August Felker is a two-time successful searcher, first with a traditional search fund, the second time around he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great, no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out oberly-risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com. Link in the show notes. Alex, it turns out we we both re-listened to your first episode this morning in preparation of, uh, of this uh, interview. Did anything jump out at you or strike you as you as you listened to to your your younger self sixteen months ago um, talk about you know this business and your excitement for this business? Did anything um, you know jump out at you as oh that was naive or oh no I'm I'm still right about that it's 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 nice to know that I was right sixteen months ago about how things have unfolded anything that that you any any reaction you had yeah. Um... I mean, one thing that stuck out to me was I said that I think WorkPays is the best company in the world. And I still believe that. I believe that for very, very different reasons to what I believed it then. Um, <laughs> but I still believe that WorkPays is an absolutely amazing company and has the power to change um, people's lives for the better. I think probably at the time I was thinking this is a great platform from which we can become, you know, gods of our of our sector that's not what and, and i still believe that we I, I i still believe that that is possible i think the road is slightly more winding than i first believed there and so we spoke about this but you know this buy and build strategy and we have yet to acquire a company we've come we actually came we came very close in the last couple of months um but it's you know i, I thought that was going to be a lot easier and i think things like that are i think probably a bit naive then 
Well, I, we're going to talk more about that. Um, I was going to ask about that, so I'm glad you touched on it. But before we do, you've now said kind of two different ways a similar thing, which is you said a few minutes ago that the business you thought you were buying is different than the business you actually bought. And what you now just said is that um, you, you still think it's the best company in the world, but for, for different reasons. So same theme. What was different about WorkPays than you, you saw as an outsider trying to acquire the business? Yeah, I actually don't know if the company is very different from what, the day before. Sorry, from what I thought it was going to be the day before the day before I acquired it to the day after. I think what has happened with WorkPays is that we have grown from being a forty-person company about six months before I joined to an eighty-month person, eighty-person company the day I joined to one hundred and thirty to one hundred and forty today. That is a huge amount of change, and I think. Yeah. That it, it's there that all our issues lie. And so Anne, um, my co-MD, she always says, you know what? I used to know everyone. When I came here, barely even 20 people here. I knew everyone's, I knew everyone's name. I knew their kid's name. I knew their, I knew their kids. I knew their, pe- their partner's names. I knew their birthdays. We go into meetings now and we'll often meet people and we'll be like, oh, it's nice to see you. And they go, well, actually, I saw you a week ago. And I think that is, <laughs> I think... When you when you experience that much growth, I think that has that has a huge impact on the company, and we've seen impacts in many in in, in so many different ways. And I talk a lot about HR, but I can also talk about our finances. I can talk about absolutely everything, and even the culture. So you know, I spoke on the on the the last call we had about a workplace being a family, and <laughs> we are re- we are so keen to ensure that it is still a family. But when you are 140 people, um, some of whom will will never ever meet one another um, because we just we just work in so many different regions, that can be very difficult. Um, and when you need to put more hierarchy in place and better structures in place, that also then becomes a lot more difficult. Um, so no, I don't think it's so much that workplace is very different. I think it's I un, I personally underestimated the challenge that such big growth would bring. Mm-hmm. And let, let me just make sure I understand. So under your ownership, it's grown from 80 to 140? I wish. Um, so actually, um, we won some new contracts while um, we were under NOI. And so as a result, um, we, we've staffed up those contracts. So not if not, unfortunately, I wish it was because of the work that I had done, but it, it's not. Oh, okay. But but the, the increase in headcount did occur. Occur while, yeah. like after after you took ownership. So it, you were the owner, co-managing director when it went from yeah. eighty to one hundred and forty. Yeah. So that's what is that sixty, seventy five percent increase in in people. Yeah. That that's you yeah. know. And what I would say about that, Alex, is like, um, that actually seems like a a, a separate a, a challenge that doesn't necessarily have to do with search. Any business, even a start from yep. scratch business that goes from 80 to 140 people, you'll hear any any entrepreneur or leader of a business that experiences that much growth in a relatively short amount of time say what you just said, that, you know, I used to know everybody, now yep. I don't, and we used to be like a family, and now it's feels less like a family, and we're really trying to keep hold on to that. So um, not, not certainly not to belittle it, but I'm not sure that that's actually um, a specific to the story 100%. of search here. Yeah. yeah. I think that's 100% right, but I think as, firstly, as I said, I think I underestimated the challenge that would bring. And I think, secondly, as someone who's barely managed 
five people, six people beforehand, <laughs> suddenly coming to an organization where you're thinking, I need to think about how we manage 130 people is a huge, and, and thank goodness it's normally Anne, Anne does most of the operational stuff. So actually she, it's, you know, she, she looks after a lot of this, but actually thinking about how you deal with that problem and the problems that, that hiring that many more people can then bring is, is, is really tough. Yeah. Well, let, let's hear a little bit more about Anne. She is your, so managing director is the title, correct? Yep, we're both managing directors. Forgive me, is that, um, how is that different than president or CEO? Is that just kind of a different phrasing in the UK versus the US, pretty much? No, exactly. So president, I don't think we use the term president. Um, the reason why we didn't go for CEO was because you I very you very rarely see co-CEOs. So I thought okay. it might be weird to have two CEOs, but two MDs may seem to make more sense. Okay, okay. Um, so you have this managing director, this co-managing director in Anne, and rolled equity, so she has some of the business. Yep. She was also the kind of second in second in command lieutenant under the previous owner, founder, Helen, who that's was right. kind of a, a very well-known and respected person in the industry. Um, so that's kind of Anne's backstory. How has it gone as a co-managing director, your relationship with her? Because I would say that that, obviously that could be a, one too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, so yep. how's that gone? Really, really, really well. We, you know, Anne is as friend as, as, mu as much as a colleague. And I think that's really important. And one of the things that I think one of the things maybe, and I don't, and I don't know whether it's like this, but other people who have this similar situation, I don't think that there is any politics between us. And I think that's really important. And, and maybe, maybe, and I think in every, every company that you're in, there's lots of politics. But I think when you're right at the top, you don't, you know, you don't see the politics. And, and I think we are lucky that even though we are together, there is no politics. Our, our, we have the same unified goal, which is to get work pays to wherever we want to get it to. And I think we are 100% bought into that. And we understand each other's role very well. Yes, I think there are times when there is pressure. And we put, I think we put pressure on one another, but I think we both we have incredibly similar personalities and feel the pressure in the same way. Um, mm -hmm. And going back to what I was saying about our roles being slightly split, so Anne focuses on operations and operational strategy, and I focus on growth and growth strategy. However, we both are very unified. So I will often, you know, I, I have a call with um, our two ops directors every single week with Anne, where we go over our figures. Um, and when we've been looking at acquisitions, I will always do the first few calls Anne is the one who can really ask the proper DD questions. So she will go in there and she'll have like the six hour meeting or the day long meeting with this, with the team to really drill down to work out how we can best fit that company into work base. It sounds wonderful and relatively harmonious, which is the, really the best you can ask for. Um, did you get lucky in Anne or did you kind of diligence Anne when you were diligencing lar the larger business? Very good question. Um, no. I'm going to be really honest. I didn't actually, um, and perhaps I should have done. Um, I I think to uh, I don't want to blow my own my own trumpet, but I, I think I'm I think I can do one on one relationships pretty well. I'm pretty mm -hmm. used to, when I go to a party. I'm always a person who's right in the corner of the room who doesn't really want to talk to anyone, or just hopes that I can you know don't have to drink much and then can go home by eight pm. Um, but the second <laughs> I'm if I have a one on one on one, I think I I, I can do significantly better and mm. is actually well she's she's quite good at both um and what what we did do however is in in advance in, of the acquisition we had i had at least one weekly call with helen and Anne together but we also had a weekly session together just Anne and um just Anne and i to discuss um strategy post acquisition so we actually wrote a whole 
post-acquisition strategy document together that formed part of the um, investment memorandum that we gave to investors and also guides a lot of what we do today. So I think in many ways, yes, there was that pre there was that pre-interview. Um, but I don't. In fairness, I think they were probably in, Anne was probably interviewing me more than mm. than I was interviewing her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, whether or not you were doing it with a lot of kind of diligence, intentionality, if and if you felt that the chemistry was off with Anne or you didn't like her, that would have surfaced during that process, and you would have addressed it or walked away or whatever. So, hundred um, percent. Yeah. And I will say, so when I am. Um, not the I, I'm really awkward. I'm very British and very very awkward. And when I first <laughs> met Anne, because because I was stuck in America, I, I actually couldn't meet um, Anne and Helen until literally the last minute. And I came back to um, I came back to the UK. I went to Derby to where I was staying for a few days to finally meet them um, and finish the deal um, or complete the deal. And Anne comes to collect me from the house that I was renting, and she gives me the biggest hug. And I think mm. that just like sums her up. And I think it was from that moment you realize actually. I think, we, I think we're going to be fine. Okay, let's get into um, just a, a few more minutes here, Alex, but let's get into a couple um, specifics, dynamics about the business itself that mm. um, that we touched on in the first interview, and I just want to follow up on them. First of all, so as, just to, to uh, reiterate what you said at the top, you uh, work pays is in the business of using um, winning contracts from the government and deploying that money into helping people get jobs and then upskill once they're in jobs, yeah. essentially, right? There, there were three sectors. I, I just named two, but that's kind of the spectrum, yeah. more or less. Um, and you had, the business had really strong performance metrics. There are some KPIs in this world. And just because I took notes as, as I listened, uh, re- re-listened to it this morning, the industry average is like 64% of people going through a program like uh, WorkPays will um, complete it. So sorry, kind of 36% attrition. You all were at 89%, well above the industry average, really an impressive number. Um, where's that number today? Um, so this year, I think we're pretty high again. I think we're in the eighties last year. It was less good. Um, so essentially it's actually been a really tough time for our industry. Um, what has happened is, is that we have been hit by, the worst of all worlds. So w- w- companies like Workday, or actually Workday, sorry, specifically because we have our fingers in many pies, we do really well, not only when the economy is doing really badly so that we can help um, those people who've lost their jobs or who are looking for jobs to find one, but also when the economy is doing really well so that companies can give us money to upskill their workers, workforce. Mm. However, we are in a situation where we have a really abysmal upon economy, and yet we have the lowest unemployment we've had in 50 years. And so that has had a massive impact, not only on us, but our, the entire industry. Now, it doesn't, whether or not I can tell you stories about how we believe that we are outperforming the industry um, or that we are outperforming the industry, what that has meant is that some of our numbers have come down or the number of people starting on our program have come down in particular to apprenticeships, which is what, what, what we're talking about here. And as a result, um, you know, a couple of people leaving can then lower your number from the high 80s to, let's say, the 70s or 60s. Yeah, well, the, with the dynamic you describe um, is the same over here, uh, you know, kind of limping economy, but but very, very tight uh, labor market. Mm. So it's, a, it's, an, it's a, apparently a very unusual uh, dynamic, uh, macroeconomic yeah. dynamic. Two other questions. Uh, I want to, I'll save the um, buy and build uh, one for second. First, 
your one of the things we talked about in a business like this, you know, the, the, your first reflex is, oh, customer concentration, you know, the government is your, your customer. And the way that you explained that away to, to yourself and to me and it made sense is that, in fact, yes, technically the government is your sole customer, but you're, you're, you're soliciting, you're um, bidding on contracts from a number of different agencies. So yes, with, so within the government, you're very diversified in terms of the agencies that you're, you're getting contracts from, correct? That is that that is correct. And has that and is that was the way you explained that to yourself? Um, is that borne out? Yes. And I can't remember if I said this as well that the UK is one of the most you know our our, our politics is some of the most stable in the the world. And I say that as of January twenty twenty two when we last spoke. And I say that you know <laughs> even I think I said even with Brexit, you know we had yeah. one blip. In 2016, and thank goodness we have a very stable government. Well, we the last since we last spoke, we've had three prime ministers, one of whom <laughs> didn't outlast a lettuce, which is I don't know if you heard about that in the US. Um, so it's that has had an impact on us. So the so while I still believe I still believe that, that actually we have many different payers. We have you know, and actually they've expanded it now. They're they're doing I don't know if they if they have they're devolving a lot of the powers. So from the central government to local government, and even like on a very 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 small level, they're devolving powers. And so we have a lot more people who are paying us, and we've just won a lot of contracts from very very local government. So the sort of people who remove your bins as well will also be paying us for some of the things that we are doing. Hmm. However. Because of the huge amounts of instability that we've seen in UK politics in the last year and a, a year and a half, or last year actually, um, that has had an impact on the amount of funding that is available. So what that has meant is, is that you know the EU um, the EU funds ended in March um, this year, and we we were always under the impression that the government was going to replace them like for like. That's what the government said. It said actually not only that it was going to invest more money in lots of different programs. That was the whole point of Brexit. However, because of this instability, you know, they, they, they haven't actually brought yet the forward the funds yet to replace the EU funds. And that is, when I thought about this as part of the acquisition, I just never thought that was going to happen because we are helping the most vulnerable people in society. And so we help these people who are known as NEETs, not in education, employment or training. They, you know, with, if we don't support them, the chances are that they will be, they won't just be unemployed for the short term, they'll be very long-term unemployed and that will have an impact on our economy for years and years. So we simply didn't believe that government wouldn't do anything. However, given the political instability, that's unfortunately what's happened. So would that be any different if we were in a really poor economic environment and we were trying to get more commercial clients? No, I, I don't really think so. Um, but there's one department that controls the purse strings. Maybe that does have an impact. Okay. And, but the growth that we talked about the, from the 80 to 140, you said that was for contracts that had been secured prior to your tenure and you were just staffing up to meet those contracts. So that all of that, all of those, that pipeline for you is basically before this instability happened. S Oh yeah, that was well. So, I mean, so no, it's constant ooh. pipeline. So we, you oh. know, we are constantly winning new con. We are constantly winning new contracts. We have an absolutely amazing um, bid writer. We call him our dog, our director of growth. Um, we've won a lot of contracts. I actually spent half the day today um, working on a bid and the finances for one of our bids, which is the first time I've done it. Normally, Anne does that, um, but you know, we are constantly, we are constantly winning new bids. It's just the amount of money available has gone down because it has, simply hasn't been released yet. But we know that probably no, at latest March next year, but probably November this year, that more funds will be released. Okay. 
Okay. So the, the, the pie, if you will, has shrunk a little bit, but there's still a lot of pie there. And as long as you're one of the strong performers in the industry, there's no reason to think that you will not continue to at least not only be stable, but grow. Yeah, no, exactly. And we have seen, we've actually, so we, we, a lot of our contracts had a dip, as I said, because of the underperformance. And now we are, we are getting to the stage where we actually don't think that we have enough money left in our contracts. Um, and that we are thinking, who can we take, who can we ask to give us more money to fulfill our contracts? So yes, no, we're doing, um, we're doing okay. And I'm not worried. And I would say that it's not that the pie has shrunk. The pie mm. has temporarily had a slice taken out of it. And that's like, someone's going <laughs> to put that slice back in. Good, good clarification. Uh, Alex, actually, one other question occurs to me before we get to the growth for acquisition question. The the work, y one of the things that you were really motivated by in this business was the the end result and the end benefit that you're delivering, which is helping people who um, basically find employment and, and people who are maybe kind of right at the margins um, not go in the wrong direction or not f fall off the labor market altogether. And as a somebody who's only ever been in kind of the, the for-profit world, um, I, I know very little about entities that are trying to basically help people. Mm. But I feel like what I have heard is that there's a lot of idealism when you are from the outside looking in and then you get in, see how the sausage is made and it can be disillusioning. No entity, no nonprofit or or for the for the larger good um, entity is is, you know, as clean or works as well as you want it to. Um, are you just as idealistic about work pays and, and, and the end result it delivers as you were as, as, as an outsider? Firstly, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a couple of things. So one, when I tell, I, I find it very difficult to say I am, you know, it's to praise myself. And so I, what I will say is that work pays does absolutely incredible work. I think I said that already on this chat, um, absolutely nothing to do with me. And I was very well aware of that going on, that actually, while I might be trying trying to steer the ship in one direction or the other, ultimately, the people who are doing the most important work at Workplace are not me. It's our tutors, our key workers, our engagement brokers who are supporting people to get the skills they need and, to, and supporting people to get the job. So that, that's the first thing. So has my idealism changed about any of that? No, I still don't do any work that does comes anywhere near as close to the amazing work that those people do. Mm -hmm. That said, um, I think the people who do become um, disillusioned actually are those right at the front. And I think we do see that. And I think our industry has very famously very, very high turnover. Um, and that is because people come into a job like this. They think, like you said, that they're going to be helping people. And then they think, well, hold on. This company's putting lots of KPIs on my back. Why is that? Um, this doesn't seem, how is this helping? How is this helping the, you know, the unemployed people I'm supposed to be supporting? And actually key for me, um, and key as part of what we're doing as HR, is actually to, to ensure that people actually understand that the reason why you have these targets is because it's not about the fact that you're making us profit or you're making the company profit. What you're actually doing is supporting those people into work. So when we say, how many times have you met these people? What, you know, what, how, what are you, what support are you giving them? Um, what, what training are you giving them to get a job? We're not, we're not doing that because this gets us five pounds, that gets us 12 pounds or whatever. We're doing it because actually we believe that can help people. And I think, again, it's like there's, you're, you're meshing the, the good work that you do has to be based on, um, hard like on hard action and i think ensuring that people understand that i think is really really important one thing i will say is and is that i 
I remain really idealistic about what we can achieve at Workdays. Um, one of the things that I've become really interested in recently is this like kind of evil of automation. I say the evil of automation, I don't think it's evil, but more I think the impact that that is going to have on 40% of the workforce or more who simply won't have a job. And actually it's many of the people that we are supporting or, or and the kind of jobs that a lot of people we're supporting might go into, their jobs are going to be automated. So that I do worry about. However, we are putting a lot of effort into becoming a green focused company. So we're trying to make sure that our curriculum is very, very green focused. We have something called Project Sage. And so I remain very idealistic realistic about our ability to change people's lives and also about what we can achieve for both the UK and for both for people and the UK economy, the wider economy. Okay. Let's talk, uh, dive in now to just the, the buy and build. So you, you had this um, aspiration that it seemed like yeah. an industry. I mean, the, the classic thing that many searchers see somewhat fragmented, this seemed, um, WorkPay seemed like a great platform uh, acquisition and you actually, I think one of your investors was was a little bit skeptical of that. If I already said this, forgive me. Was a little bit skeptical of that. By the time we were speaking, and you were you were only four months into the acquisition, you were starting already to feel like maybe that investor knew something you didn't. You were starting to see yeah. how it, it it might be hard. Sounds like sixteen months later, um, you're really realizing that it's hard. Talk us through all of that. Yeah. So, well, first, I want to point out it was it wasn't an investor; it's someone. It was one of the people, one of the few people, I might add, who didn't want to invest in um, oh, okay. my my business. <laughs> so, I'm okay. just going to put that out there. So, actually, it's not one of my investors. My investors are all fully on board with our um, acquisition strategy, um, and our board okay. is really, really on board with it as well. Um, how is it going? And, and so, how is it going? And why have we not acquired a business to date? So, actually, I think what I mentioned in the call last time was that. It's difficult because doing a search while running a business, while you're, you know, you're trying to build up your BD department, while you're trying to build up your marketing department and your finance department. And I talk about process quite a lot, but making sure that you have, you know, accounts done properly, that takes a lot of work. And so when you say to a, a searcher, um, when you say to a, a business owner, I can talk to you, but it's going to have to be at 8 p.m., you get a lot of no's actually. And so really my, my ability to put that work in is, is quite curtailed. And I was very appreciative of that pretty early on knowing that I need to, sh I need to, sh I need to, um, secure this shit first before we start thinking about bringing others on board. And so that's, that's the first thing we have recently started to ramp up that in the last probably six months to a, no, probably almost about a year. Actually, we've been working really hard at looking for another, um, for, for a bolt on. We are there. We know, Anne and I know exactly what we want to, to get. Um, but we've had a few sort of kind of almost ran, almost got there, but then failed. And so recently, for example, one of the things we want to do is Bring, we, you know, we have our whole strategic plan and part of that is to be a niche a, a, apprenticeship provider and part of that is to be a green focused as a green focused apprenticeship provider or a green focused um, provider of skills. And so we found this absolutely amazing company in one of the areas that we're really excited about going into and we took things probably, we were probably a bit too slow about it. And as a result, the deal kind of, the sellers got a bit nervous right towards the end. But um, no, it's going, the reason I use that as an example, because I think it's going well, it's slightly tougher and slower than I thought. And as I said at the, on the last time we spoke, time kills deals. And yeah. that is something that I'm definitely noticing. 
Yeah. Well, when you talk about you need to secure this ship before, you know, you can really become acquisitive, I guess, tightening up things within the organization, but it also just sounds like freeing your time. So getting things in place where you can find another six hours in your day to devote yourself to it. Yeah. Yeah. That one, one, um, I spoke to a researcher very soon after um, acquiring Workbase and he said, oh, so you must be really bored. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, like every searcher, you have, um, you you must just be doing nothing all day because there's no work for you to do. And I'm thinking... I'm working every day until midnight. I don't know what, I don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> and I think that, I think what you're saying is exactly right. Um, and it's actually about putting, you know, the one, my last lesson at business school taught me something I thought was super interesting, which is you, the best boss is the one who, when they walk away, the company is fine. And I think about that a lot. And that is exactly what I want to achieve at Workplace. If I could be on a beach in, oh, I don't know, in, in, in the Far East somewhere, enjoying my life, wouldn't that be ideal? And actually, I think if I can do that while owning Workplace, it's not what I'm trying to do because I don't think it's, I'm that personality. But if I can, I will believe that I have succeeded at Workplace. And I think exactly to your point that making sure that we've got things right is incredibly important. And one more thing I will say, because I don't want to give the impression that Workplace is doing badly. It's not. It's 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 not at all. The first year, I, you know, I had these goals that we were going to get to certain million of EBITDA and we didn't get there. And I spoke to some of my investors to, you know, not to broach the news with them, but basically say, this is how it's going. I speak to my investors, probably I speak to a different investor every couple of weeks. Um, and one person said to me, and it just it made me, I almost, I honestly have never, I'm not normally this emotional, but one investor said to me, oh yeah, my first two years, we called them my blue years because um, my wife and I just said, she's like, you just used to come home so un- un- unhappy. You know, so you used to come home quite unhappy. And, and he said, that is normal for when you're doing a search. It's these first, it's your first six months are honeymoon. The next year and a half after that is just day after day after day of struggle. And I think that is not only, I think, what I'm experiencing, but what I'm seeing lots of people experience, which then makes it more difficult to achieve those really heady goals that you had before you acquired the company. But, and, and, but, and, but why? So the first six months, sure, like transitioning is hard. But what happens in the next year and a half? Is it just dis like when 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 dream meets reality and reality is just a lot messier than 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 you thought yeah. it was going to be and so it's disappointing and frustrating for the next 18 months what, what why is this such a uniform pattern across searchers yeah i think there are a couple of things so one again it's like you buy this company and you think it's going to be x but it's y and there are all these issues so you don't even you there are all these issues you don't even think about their issues so it's not like it's not like you didn't it's not like had you done your DD, you would have found out about this. You just, you just, they're just, you just, it's, you, there are issues that as an owner, you are able to, um, that if you've been an owner of a business, I think for 10 years, you are able to, you're equipped to deal with. So Anne and Helen are very well equipped or, or Helen was and, and, and Anne is very well equipped to deal with a lot of the, the multitude of issues that come up. I simply am, am not. And, and that is a, that is a key point for searches. The second thing is, and I think that is the second point. It's you. It's you are simply making 80% of your decisions are wrong. And, and Jim Sharp says this on his website. He says, do not, do not underestimate how many bad decisions you are going to make, whether it be a hiring decision, whether it be a, a, a poor decision in a meeting. And I think actually HR can be one of the most difficult parts, for example, of, and by HR, I don't mean the process I'm talking about. I'm talking about how I'm managing people and understanding that. And Anne, I remember very early on made some comments about that. Really actually quite helpful, constructive comments, which I'm not sure she'll probably even remember about trying to give me advice about it. And I think 
you make so many mistakes and that weighs on you. And it's not like, you know, when you're doing, even when you're doing banking, if you go home at four in the morning, at least you go and sleep in your job. You know, you don't, you, you, you can sleep till the next morning and you don't, you don't really think about it for those four hours you're sleeping. In my job, not one day has gone by where I don't have a dream or a nightmare about work pays, something going right, something really? going wrong. A hundred percent. And I, but I love it. And, but, but work pays is so much a part of my life and I carry the weight of work pays on my shoulders. Um, I, you know, my, my, my uh, partner says that, uh, um, he said that there are three in our marriage. There's you, you me and work pays and perhaps that's one of the issues. Um, but, and I think that. I think that, that is, that is, that is, I think the issue that happens in the first year and a half is that you have the weight of this, of this, of you have something, this huge weight on your shoulders, and yet you are making decisions that negatively impact it. And I think that's super interesting. And you have to, you do have to get your head around that sometimes. And when you, and then when you start making tougher decisions that you think are the right decisions, it's about be, you know, trying to be firm about it, which can also be tough. Fascinating. Thank you for that, Alex. Uh, I just want to call out, um, your partner saying that there that there's three of you in the relationship did 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 you did he either hear the thing that your what your mom would say about your dad or or is that just a spooky coincidence because you said uh, in, in our first interview that your mom would talk about or no some, somebody in your family would talk about how there were three children you your sister yeah, right. and, and your dad's business because he was also a business owner um so there you go the the apple doesn't far too yeah. fall too far from the tree <laughs> no that's that's exactly right <laughs> that's right um yeah no i'm exactly i am definitely my father's son that's yeah. right and actually funnily enough he calls me up every day to give me advice about work days so pretty helpful mostly tax advice because he's a he's an accountant but you know i'll take whatever advice i can you had i believe mentioned a an eventual career in politics like later on has this experienced um, informed that plan one way or the other? So do you know what? That was my original plan when I left undergrad and it wasn't a plan for, it, it has, it was not in the cards for a very long time, partly because I lived in America, partly because I worked in, um, finance. And I thought, no, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Working in this, I mean, honestly, yes, if I could have an impact on our country's policy and direction, I would absolutely love that. Um, and I'm not gonna, I have, honestly, I have no idea. I'm not trying to give a politician answer and be like, you know, m maybe one day that's, mm. I, I, I just have, I just have, I just have no idea. Yes, I would absolutely love that. Um, this had made me so sure about the ways that you can make change and the ability to kind of, to, to impact that change. So whether it be supporting small businesses, whether it be the, the impact of policy, yeah, no, hundred percent. I find that really, really interesting. And if I could support that, I would love that. But I think it's. Uh, I think I'm getting old now. Last question for you, Alex. The we and we've touched on a lot of this already, but I, I want to have you answer it directly and explicitly. Um, throughout this journey so far, what uh, muscle have you built? Um, what muscle has atrophied? Sounds like you have become a little bit better manager thanks to Anne. Definitely. Well, I'm a different manager. I wouldn't say I'm a better manager, but maybe I am a better manager thanks to Anne. I'm a different manager. I think when you go into a business, often what happens is, and I give this advice to a lot of um, people who call me, I say, do not worry about whether people like you. You want, Anne always says, she said, she was one of the first comments she made to me. She's like, you just are too desperate for everyone to like you. The problem is in your role, no one is going to like you all the time. And what you realize is two things that one, people, uh, so, I think I've become significantly better understanding management 
Um, I don't know where I've become, where I've become worse at. Probably my personal life has taken a massive hit because work pays is, it's the first time ever that I've actually found it really exciting when I'm out of work to talk about my, my job. And I don't think anyone else agrees with that. So I think that's probably just slightly <laughs> worse. But from a management point of view, um, you know, I, I think I've noticed when I go into a room now at work, people laugh significantly louder at my jokes. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just simply not a funny person. And two, people, um, I know that people are being rude about me behind my back because I, you know, you're the boss and you, and sometimes things trickle through and, and that is the way it is. And there's nothing that I can do to change that, however good a person or boss that I am to, or how friendly I am with them. So actually the key thing, you know, work pays has to come first and your management style has to has to remember that and i think yes actually sorry there's a bit of a long-winded answer to say yes i think my management style has got significantly um has got has, has changed a lot and i think i get a lot more done now than i did when i first came to work pays as a result of it and this thing about wanting to be liked do you feel like you've kind of had to intentionally thicken your skin or just with the the slings and arrows of uh, you know the day to day, you just shed that need naturally, and now you're just a hard ass and you don't care. Or or do you constantly have to remind yourself, Alex, don't care what people think. Work pace comes first. You know, make this decision despite you know the questions of popularity. You know, you know what I mean? Is it yeah um, a conversation with yourself, or did you just grow the muscle where you don't care anymore? I think I don't notice what people say actually, or what Great. people are thinking. So it's not that people are rude to me and then I don't notice it. Um, it's more that I don't, I think, I don't think I give as much time to that. Um, and so, but at the same time, I do not believe that you can be a, a good boss that nobody likes. And so actually, you know, because if, if, if I were a boss that nobody likes, all my staff would be leaving. And I think, yeah. and, and so that, that's, not, that's a whole issue in itself. So actually making sure that your staff respect respect you and, and, and at least like you somewhat, I think is obviously, is, is actually, is, is still important, but it's also about thinking again, like you said, work pays comes first. So I think there, I think there is a fine balance. I wouldn't say I'm like a cold, horrible person. Um, I go out with my staff and I talk to my, I go out, I, I will go out with my staff all the time. We go out for lunches, we go out for drinks. Um, but remembering that you are the owner slash CEO slash MD is really, really important in that you will never, you know, you're not, they, probably they don't want to be your friend, even though, you yeah. know, I wish they would at first. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it there, Alex. Always such a such a pleasure to to chat with you. Uh what what is your favorite way for people to to reach out to you? Sounds like um a lot of people have been doing so successfully. How? LinkedIn, email, what is it? Yep. So I'm on LinkedIn, Alex Glasner, and then my email is really easy. It's Alex at workpays. That is it pays to work. So workpays.co.uk. Great. All in the notes. Alex, thank you very much for coming back on. Really enjoyed it. 